Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is April 7th, 2016. I'm really excited about today's show because I don't know about you, there are times when I just can't get enough sleep or there's times when I just can't get to sleep and it really affects everything the following day. So we have with us today an expert in sleep and she's also an author of two books. So we couldn't get any better than this today. <laughs> her, um, her name is Terry Corelli. I hope I'm saying that correct. Yes, yes, that's fine. Okay, great. She is a certified clinical sleep educator, and she's based in Washington, D.C. She's also the co-author of the book called Snoozebee and the Great Big Bedtime Battle. It's the first nonfiction book directly that messages the benefits of getting sufficient sleep for young children. And then she also has another book called Sleeping Your Way to the Top, and it's the ultimate guide to succeed with sufficient sleep. She's also the co-founder of a four-bed sleep disorder center in Virginia, and and she's also a nationally recognized sleep health consultant. She's an educator, and she's also an advocate. Her work in the field of sleep medicine has ranged from patient care to clinical research, and she continues to educate nurses. So let's bring her on to our show now. Hi there, Terry. Hey, Denise. How are you today? Really good. I did get my sleep last night. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Good for you. <laughs> I like to start my show out by asking my guest, how in the world did you get on the path you're on today? I'm really curious. Oh, gosh. Well, okay, I've been a nurse for a very, very long time, um, probably too many years to admit um, on your radio show, but um, <laughs> about 15 years ago, I, you know, I'd done a lot of things, and um, I was doing some clinical research and, on insomnia, and I was fascinated by it. And one of the sleep doctors involved said, this is pretty interesting, isn't it? And I said, well, yes, because to me it was sort of a new discipline. I mean, I hadn't learned much about it in nursing school. It hadn't been talked about much. And, you know, other than the, you know, I can't sleep or I'm tired today kind of thing, it just didn't come up. So I visited a sleep disorder center in Houston, Texas for a week. So I slept all day and stayed up all night and watched the sleep studies, and I was hooked from that day on, and it was just so fascinating, and it was also very rewarding. Um, you know, some parts of medicine can be kind of sad and, you know, not not always great outcomes, but sleep medicine it was, was not only interesting, but we could, there were so many great treatments for these sleep disorders, and a lot of them I hadn't even heard of back then. So I was hooked from that week on, and I've been involved full-time ever since. So I found what I loved, and I think it's just it's exciting to be sort of spreading the word in a, new, mm-hmm. in a relatively new field. It is. It really is. I'm curious, how far have we come with technology in aiding sleep? Well, that's a, that's a great question, Denise, because just because it's so new, I mean, they were doing um, – a lot of the research started about 50 years ago, but it's only been relatively recently, and I'll give you some context with that. Um, one of the sleep doctors I work with, uh, okay, let's say he's in his early 60s. 
So when he was still first working with sleep apnea patients, they used to give them tracheotomies in their neck when they had severe sleep apnea. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yes. I mean, that'll give you uh, sort of a feel for how far we've mm-hmm. come. And mm-hmm. and now if I hear someone who's been diagnosed with sleep apnea, you know, roll their eyes at CPAP, I say, hey, let me tell you, <laughs> CPAP is the, is the best thing since sliced bread. This thing you just wear mm-hmm. on your nose, and I don't want to hear any complaints because you're going to feel like <laughs> a new person. <laughs> so, So that's... That's how far it's come, and they say the very first CPAP machines looked a little bit like, uh, or sounded like leaf blowers. You know, it was definitely mm. we've uh. we've come such a long way, and I think even more exciting is now we realize how important sleep is to our health. Where 25 and obviously 50 years ago we had no mm-hmm. idea. So that's why it's sort of exciting to be on the forefront of this. Um, you know, I just I, I've been very fortunate to meet really the, the, you know, big players in sleep medicine, like William DeMent at Stanford. I got to meet him, oh, two years ago. And I tell you, I couldn't even talk. I was so excited. I just stood right in front of him and stammered <laughs> and stuttered. And it was like it was like standing next to Paul McCartney. I, I just was b- beside myself and giddy. So anyway. Has he published yeah. a lot of research? Oh, yes. William DeMent is, he's often referred to as the father of sleep medicine, and he's going strong, and he's a brilliant, um, brilliant man, and his most famous book is called The Promise of Sleep, and it came out a while ago, but it's one of the most incredible books you'll ever read, so be sure to look up The Promise of Sleep. I will. Um, I will. William DeMent. Definitely. I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. Well, let's talk about um, your your newest book that's just come out. Well, what we did, we um, my co-author and I, Dr. David Brown, he's in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. He, we've been working um, on a lot of projects together over the years, and we still were getting frustrated because people just didn't get it, or you know, they'd come to us the sleep clinic, you know, reluctantly and saying, "I don't know why I'm here." My wife said, I snore, I shouldn't be here, this is all, you know, who cares about Mm -hmm. sleep. And we really, you know, as much as we message directly to patients, we really wanted to spread the message on a broader level. So we thought of a, you know, we are sleeping your way to the top. Obviously that phrase has been around for a while, but we thought it would just get the attention of people. And, (laughs) and, you know, we we want people to stop and think. And and obviously, humor aside, if you want to be the best person you can be, you know, health-wise, performance-wise, achievement-wise, relationship-wise, you know, every aspect of your life, you need to get sufficient sleep. So that was our objective is to spread the message. We don't want to be preachy about it. We don't want to be mm-hmm. doom and gloom about it, but we want to present it to people in an engaging format and say, look, you know, it is so important and it's been highly underrated <laughs> for the past, you know, 50 years. So let's let's turn this around and say, wow, let's prioritize sleep, let's learn about it, and let's think of ways we can fit it into our lives in a better way so our lives are better I mean, not just our health, not just our performance, but literally the quality of our lives is affected by sleep. So we wanted that message out there. So how did you go about it? In other words, how long did it take you to write the book? Did you pull in some of your clinical experience with patients into the book? We did, Denise, we did. Um, You know, just being in the trenches, it gives us a little bit of a different perspective. And I think we're fortunate as healthcare providers and clinicians, we sort of saw the sleep issue and the sleep problem, you know, slightly differently than, say, maybe a journalist writing about sleep or just, you know, anyone writing about sleep. We, sure. we love everyone, but we love everyone writing about sleep because the more the merrier um, in terms of getting this health message out there. But I guess it was maybe – we we had some similar frustrations in trying to convey to people how serious it, it was. And then I think the best part of our perspective was the before and after. Um, the, I think one of the most poignant, I mean, there were many, many poignant points in, in my last 15 years in sleep, but one of them that I remember the most was a, 
a woman in her late 60s who came in with her daughter, and her daughter was in her 30s. And um, some issues that went along with sleep apnea, she was having problems at work, irritable, marital problems. Mm. She had gained a lot of weight recently, and things were just, you know, not going well, but which is often the case with very, very sleep-deprived people. They're the last people to think that their performance is, you know, or their lives are being Mm -hmm. affected by sleep deprivation. They just sort of get into this, you know, fog, and they carry on, but they're sort of not really seeing the big picture. So anyway, the mother brings her in, and yes, she has serious, serious sleep apnea. She's treated, and, you know, a couple months later in one of the follow-up visits, she said, thank you for giving me my daughter back. And, you know, Denise, it really made me stop. And then I thought, you know, it's nothing I did. It's these sleep research. You know, we were able to treat it. We have effective means of treatment, and it's so readily available. It's covered by health insurance. Gosh, don't struggle, whether it's insomnia Mm -hmm. or sleep apnea or just bad, you know, poor sleep habits. Don't struggle with sleep because I think that woman's comment to me made so, you know, that was like, that was my wake-up call. Like, I need to write a book. And another interesting thing about the book was we we started on the book years ago, and, um, you know, it's just sort of a side project. Mm-hmm. But when we first, when we first start, started shopping it to, you know, the publishing crowd, very lukewarm response. You know, it was sort of like, eh. And, and granted, this is, you know, over five years ago, it was very lukewarm response and, you know, marginal interest and, you know, a few will get back to you. And obviously that kind of goes along with the publishing territory, but I of thought, course. but, you know, I thought, okay, I'm not conveying this, you know, like, why don't these people get it? This is really important. <laughs> it's really relevant. Am I the only one? But, but interesting, you know, we, we worked on the book over the years, talked to a lot of people and, you know, it was a, it was a great project. But when we decided to, you know, we just stopped, worked on it, and thought we'll shop it later. We're both busy. But when we shopped it around the last time, it was the complete opposite. Oh, oh my gosh. It was like, okay, <laughs> we'll publish your book. I mean, totally different. So I think, yeah, the good news is I think in the last couple of years, and, and just having very prominent people, working hard to get the message out, like Ariana Huffington. And, you know, even when, you know, people in the spotlight, like Angelina Jolie, talk about, you know, having children and being sleep-deprived, I love it because it brings this to the attention of everyone, and it starts a dialogue. And I think it's all about starting a dialogue. And if you're, you know, anyone in healthcare knows, it's education. It's the found, you know, we've got to educate people Mm -hmm. on good health. In order to be preventative, you know, we've got to be proactive in our messaging. So I'm happy that the last couple of years it's definitely a topic that I read, I see out there more and I read about it more, and I'm happy that's the way it is. So the timing of the book, you know, it was perfect timing, and it's out now. And what we've decided to do is, you know, we're going to take care of the adults, but we want to swing back and make sure that the kids learn about sleep. Um, in elementary school, never, I, I you know, I'm going to date myself here, but <laughs> back in the <laughs> 60s, in the 60s when I was in elementary school, I think we did the food pyramid, and that's about it. And, you know, of course we had PE classes, but there, were, there was not mm-hmm. a, anything mentioned about sleep and that, you know, triad of health, which is diet, sleep, and exercise, you know, that very foundation. Sleep was just left out of the picture. So Dr. Brown and I are going to get our kids' book. We've got a children's book on sleep, and we want to really get to some, you know, PTA meetings, get into the public, you know, get into the school Mm -hmm. systems and start the dialogue with very young children so they have a lifetime of good sleep habits and subsequently the benefits of good health because of good sleep. It's particularly important with children because now they're in that technology mode with their iPads and their cell phones and their mm-hmm. laptops and their computers. And, you know, you can explain to our listeners what that does in terms of getting to sleep. 
you know, it's it's doing two things. It's encroaching on sleep time. You know, they they want to surf the net. They want to answer emails. They want to you know look at this and that. It, it's doing that. Also, the light that's being emitted from these devices is hurting sleep. And what's that do? It, it's it's um it's messing up the melatonin needs to be produced and to help you fall asleep at night. Mm-hmm. And your body's mm-hmm. not going to produce that with the bright light. So it's really hurting their sleep. So we have to, you know, here's what I want your listeners, if they take away one thing from tonight's phone, from today's phone call, it's mm-hmm. I want I want the, everyone to make sufficient sleep a personal, a family a classroom, and a workplace value. That's how important it is. It has to become a value. So getting back mm-hmm. to your question with these electronic devices, we have to communicate to our children the importance of sleep, and we have to have media curfews. We have to have bedtimes. Their health and well-being depend on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we... It's it's that important, and we don't want bedtime to be a battle. That's why we want to educate children on the importance of sleep. But we've got to power down, and that means everyone in the family. You know, we've got to set a good example for these children. We have to get TVs mm-hmm. out of the bedrooms. We have to get electronics out of the bedrooms and make those, you know, a zone where we transition from wake to sleep. We turn off these electronics, and we go to sleep and get to sleep our our you know our bodies and mind need we we we've got to do this so it does have to become a priority and i think we can curtail you know we can we can set some limits in a reasonable way because of what's at stake i mean we just have to say you know what it's just not good for you and we've got all day to do this but at this time we have to power down mm-hmm. and we're going to have some quiet bonding time. That's why I think bedtime, we all have to work, regardless of our age. If you're 5 or 85, we have to make sort of that bedtime ritual and the bedtime Mm -hmm. itself to be a relaxing experience, no electronics, but something you look forward to during, you know, at the end of the day. And it's, you know, think of anything that goes, that doesn't involve electronics. I mean, we have people now who say they love to color at night. You know, they've got adult coloring books. Um, some people do jigsaw puzzles. Any, there's some quiet activities to do as a, as a, you know, just alone or, or with your family mm-hmm. or a significant other mm-hmm. that don't require, you know, the TV and emails. There are other things that will help you, you know, get a nice restful bedtime routine and, and go to sleep when you should. Yeah, read books. Absolutely, with low lights. Now we don't want the bright lights. True. No, we do, we don't want the blue light at all. Right. No. Not at all. Now let's um, let's take a step over to your clinic. Um, I'm curious. Do you help solve snoring issues with your with your patients? Let me tell you about snoring and sleep apnea. The clinics um. Sleep clinics in general, you know, I think there's there's some misconceptions that what I could, this is a great opportunity to clear them up. Good, um, good. I think because I think a lot of people think, first of all, they think sleep you can just ignore sleep problems and they'll go away, or they don't see sleep sort of as causing problems. And then another problem I see is they don't readily bring up sleep issues, say, with their family practice doctors or their internal medicine doctors. And I think that sleep is a vital sign. And if there are any issues in sleep, I mean any, whether it's falling asleep, waking up in the middle of the night, snoring, Mm -hmm. gasping for air, or if your partner says you're doing this or that, or you're kicking your legs and you can't, you know, whatever, or if you think you sleep fine and wake up but don't feel refreshed, always talk to your doctor about that. I mean, it's imperative. Mm -hmm. Look at it as a vital sign. And if your doctor um, finds it necessary, they will refer you to a sleep doctor and a sleep clinic. And these are specialists. They're always, you know, covered by health insurance. And there's they can do sleep testing, which is painless. It's non-invasive. They can, there are um, home studies that can be done. You can wear a little apparatus at night in the comfort of your own home, or you can go to a clinic, oh, and nice. I'll tell you, yes, these clinics now, 
have changed dramatically. Um, their hospital-based clinics and their independent ones, I would say both categories have come so far in terms of comfort because, let's face it, they want you to sleep so they can, you know, mm-hmm. see what's going on. So Monitor you. Absolutely. So they're making them comfortable. Some of them look like spas. I visited one not, oh gosh, two weeks ago. It looked, I mean, it was beautiful. I just wanted to stay overnight. It was nicer than any hotel <laughs> I've stayed in recently. So so they've come a long way. But I think the the bottom line is, um, you know, if you have symptoms, now now people, back to your snoring question, they can snore and not have sleep apnea, but if you're snoring and you wake up not refreshed or you feel like, gosh, you know, I just spent eight hours in the bed and I don't feel like I've slept at all, get it checked out because it's mm-hmm. easy to get it checked out. And you don't want untreated sleep apnea. And you can have sleep apnea pretty much at any age, but I just think snoring should be something that's investigated. And I hear, you know, when you think of children, and if you have a child that's snoring, get that checked out. Don't say, you know, don't think, oh, they'll grow mm-hmm. out of it. Because what I what we worry about of at, at any age is if there is apnea and it's untreated, it can lead to other things. With children, it can lead to problems in school, behavior problems, learning problems, problems focusing, attention issues, and obviously health problems, and then all the way up. And then, you know, sort of after the age of 50, snoring, um, you know, it, it can escalate. And also the, the the rate of sleep apnea will increase in both, um, especially in women after the age of 50. So we... In that age group, 50 and over, I don't want anyone to say, well, I'm just over 50. I'm not going to be sleeping well. That's just not true. You should expect a good night's sleep no matter what age you are. So the point Mm -hmm. of my lecture is (laughs) always snoring, gasping, you know, choking, waking up (laughs) with a headache, or or falling asleep during the day. You know, look at issues... Mm -hmm. Not just nighttime issues, but look at daytime issues. Are you falling asleep in meetings? Well, I'll tell you, you can go to a meeting and it's boring, but that doesn't mean you fall asleep. That means you just get incredibly bored and start doodling on your notepad. If you fall True. asleep, you know, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and so if you're in a situation where, you fall, where you're falling asleep, you're not getting enough sleep, and you need to find out the reason why. You know, why are, are you, you know, is it volitional? Are you just watching the late show, the late show, or putting on your Netflix until all hours of the night? Or are you going to bed at 10 o'clock and just not, you know, is something, you know, disturbing your sleep? Let a sleep doctor help you decide. Um, I find it interesting if you're having problems. And, you know, insomnia can be, a uh, unfortunately, a prevalent problem that, which there's very effective help for that does not involve sleeping pills. You know, there's cognitive behavioral therapy that's been shown to be very effective with insomnia. I think some people can be afraid if they're if they don't like the idea of sleeping pills, then they say, "Well, I don't want to present to a doctor with insomnia issues." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, "No, it's not all or nothing. Like there's very effective ways of of helping insomniacs and there's um cognitive behavioral therapy, there's learning good sleep habits. Some people need just things like Setting an alarm at night instead of in the morning. Set an alarm when it's bedtime um, Mm -hmm. to remind yourself to stop what you're doing. Some people get very engrossed in their activities, and that's that's normal. Some very creative people, you know, (laughs) or maybe they're night owls. Anyway, they whatever you're, you know, you've just got to prioritize sleep, and you got to figure out the best way to do it. But don't suffer with sleep problems. There's medical, you know, there's health. Their healthcare. Providers out there that are have fellowships in sleep medicine that can help you. You know, we've we've all heard that some people don't require as much sleep as others. Mm-hmm. Is that true? In other words, is yeah. eight hours, um, you know, the the maximum, and is six hours the minimum that people can operate effectively on? Most everyone needs an average of eight hours. Now, there have been a lot of studies, and, you know, what we've heard, and I think this is why sleep has gotten a bad rap, and there's sort of this, mm-hmm. 
we we sleep is a biological necessity, but we've attributed characteristics to it and sort of um, character traits to it, you know, to needing it or getting it mm-hmm. that we don't do mm-hmm. with other things. You know, we just say, oh, wow, you know, this person's amazing. He's the last one at work. He's the first one there. He stayed up all night to work on a project or she stayed up all night to, to write a paper. We give a lot. I mean, there's a lot of bravado. People brag about not getting sleep, not needing sleep. Now, so the the studies have shown there's probably – Three percent of the population are short sleepers, and they have a genetic variant that that they've studied. Um, I think at two universities, one's UCLA, and there's another one. There's another scientist working on researcher who does work with mm-hmm. this. Now the the ranges I've heard from one percent to five percent, but usually it's the average short you know number of short sleepers in mm-hmm. the entire population is as small as three percent. So what's going on? Well. We think there are a lot of people who, you know, obviously short sleepers probably do shake out at the top. You know, if if there are people, which there are, that can get by on four, five, six hours of sleep nightly, they've got more time to do a lot of things. And some of them do tend yes. to be kind of type A and over, you know, those uh, mm-hmm. high energy types. I mean, just by personality and some of the studies I've read. But the rest of us, you know, we can't look at that and say, we can't cheat it. We can't cheat sleep. And I'm, I'm getting ready. You know, I've got a, a talk I've got to give tomorrow, and I was doing some Internet searches today. And I get so frustrated when I see the, the things where people write in and say, I can train myself to get by on less. Or if you buy my program, you'll learn how to get by on less sleep. So you're mm-hmm. not wasting all this time. And that's just such a dangerous message because mm-hmm. you you really can't, bypass it you you can't cheat it if you need eight hours you need eight hours the, the, but the good thing is if you get those eight hours your wake hours are going to be so much better they're going to be you know you're going to work better learn better be safer be smarter be happier have a better outlook be more resilient um more motivated you see that's what sleep does for you it's not just a physical you know it's there tons of physical benefits, but there are tons of psychological benefits. And mm-hmm. people have to realize that it's not the quantity of your hours. I think we've always looked at this as a little bit of a math problem. <laughs> you know, we want, like, sure. I mean, we all know, you know, even kids, you know, they want to stay up. There's things to do. There's, you know, emails, there's TV shows, there's books, there, there's, there's tons of stuff everyone wants to do. But if we just sit back and, and learn the science and become educated, we we can get that eight hours and realize that 16 hours is going to be such better quality hours. So it's not quantity, it's quality. And Mm -hmm. if you're trying to get by on four or five hours a night when you need eight, that those hours that you're awake, you're going to be making mistakes. You're going to be irritable. You're going to have problems with relationships. You're going to get sick a lot. And the long-term effects of chronic sleep deprivation, um, you know, are, are probably pretty grim. Um, we, we've got, you know, associations with depression, stroke, um, diabetes, um, obviously obesity, tons of health problems associated. And even thinking about long-term, like heart disease, over the years, what sleep deprivation does to us. So the bottom line is you can't, you can't learn to get by on less. Get what you need. And the National Sleep Foundation has a wonderful infographic on their website, and they give recommended sleep time durations for different age groups, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. And it's a good thing if you're in healthcare to put on the wall of a clinic or if you're a school teacher to put on the wall of the school or if you're a mom or dad, <laughs> put it on the refrigerator because the, um, it's a great infographic that really goes and shows every single age how many hours. But for adults, we've got that eight-hour, you know, average. And for teenagers, it's you know we've got to get these teenagers the sleep they need, and that's usually about nine hours a night. And oh, I'm interesting. Yes, I'm very worried. Nine point two five to be exact. What's very worrisome is these teenagers are not getting the sleep they need, and mm-hmm. we've got to look at, you know, it's not convenient, but for their health and safety's sake, 
we have to look at school start times for these teenagers because, you know, they're in school trying to learn. Some of them are trying to work. Some of them are in sports. And the scariest thing of all, that many of them are new drivers. And, yes. and you know, we, we um, always say falling asleep while driving a car is a near-death mm-hmm. and a near-homicidal experience. That's how dangerous it is. Um, we have to look at drowsy driving like we do drunk driving, you know, and have zero tolerance for it. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is we, we really have to look out for these teens because they're in a group that I think are getting not enough sleep and it could have, it's got, you know, there's obviously short-term repercussions and long-term ones as well. Listeners, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Terry Corelli. RNMS. She's a certified sleep educator, an author, and a co-founder of a sleep clinic in Virginia. Sleep deprivation relative to productivity, whether it's in the workplace or it's at home, is a huge problem in the United States. Let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, the productivity, and this is, again, where, where we get into the situation of, you know, are we are we getting enough hours to be good at whatever we do? I mean, what whatever it is we do, are we doing it to the best of our ability? Um, and do we have sufficient sleep um, as a foundation? And in the workplace, what we found is a lot, the people that aren't getting enough sleep, are not mm-hmm. productive at work. They're not performing at their best. They're a liability in in many senses, um, in terms of safety. They're more prone to accidents. They're more prone to be absent from work. Um, they're prone to absenteeism, and presenteeism. Now, presenteeism is when you come to work, and you have no idea what you're doing, or you know, you're just. I mean, you're physically <laughs> there. You're not mentally there. And mm-hmm. I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I. I think what we're going to do is, as this, as as this is all very new, brand new, this new messaging about sleep, the new, you know, mine is just one of many books that are coming out about sleep. They're, you know, it, it's everywhere. I think we're going to start not just looking at nighttime when it comes to thinking about sleep. We're going to look at daytime. And what we're going to do when we look at daytime is we're going to look at um, things in the workplace, in terms of we're going to educate our employees about sleep. When mm-hmm. they come in for orientation, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the need for sleep. We're going to have sanctioned nap opportunities. We accommodate coffee breaks. We accommodate lunch breaks in corporate America. We accommodate um, all kinds of things, Co- you know, coffee breaks, smoking breaks, lunch breaks. We, You know, we've turned a blind eye to sleep. You know, research study after research study has shown that a short nap, even 20-minute nap, can just improve your alertness, your productivity, your performance, your concentration, and your energy levels. So let's – so, you know, if if the baby's been up crying the night before and you're at work – you know, why can't we have that availability? And I'm not talking about, you know, trying to sneak a nap in a bathroom stall or somewhere where it's, you know, where you shouldn't be doing that, but a sanctioned napping. I mean, we as a nation and we as individuals, we have to be unapologetic for our need to sleep and don't attribute, you know, oh, gosh, I'm I'm weak. You know, I've got a weak character because I'm tired today. No, I'm tired today because my baby was teething last night. I didn't, you know, I slept for four hours, and I'm actually not safe to be working or doing anything, and I do need an opportunity to catch up some on some of that sleep, whether it's a nap or, you know, coming home early or making sure a coworker doesn't drive home after a night shift if they're tired. I mean, so we have to sort of change our collective thinking about that, and I think what holds true for productivity in the workplace, holds true for how we, well, it's basically productivity in the classroom, regardless of age. Any student, you know, we want them learning. We want them productive. We want them achieving and accomplishing and growing. So how can we accommodate our need for sleep during the daytime hours? Well, we can educate. We can, you know, Make sure, you know, look at how much homework are we giving the children. Are they staying up too late because we've given them too much homework? When does the Mm -hmm. class day start? You know, 
you know, I guess as a nation, let's start just having some flexibility. Let's start the discussion and think of ways because all of these things we do will enhance productivity for everyone as well as their health and quality of life. So it's really the onus is, you know, we have to do do it on so many different levels so, because it's, it's sleep is relevant to all of those aspects of our lives. We really have to turn our attention toward it. You know, the high-tech industry, they recognize the importance of sleep, and you'll find a lot of times in your larger firms, well, they'll actually have sleeping pods. Oh, my gosh. I'm the biggest fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's music to my ears, Denise, because, I mean, how wonderful. You know, and, and you know, gosh, a nap in the middle of the day can boost creativity. I mean, there's just great, you know, there's no downside to it. Um, yeah. And pe- people say, well, won't it be abused? Well, I don't, you know, are lunch breaks abused or coffee breaks? The last time I stood in line at a coffee shop, <laughs> I was probably uh, a good 15 minutes late back to the office because, you know, that line was so long. You know, so what? we have to take the stigma out of needing sleep. We really do. And I think corporate wellness programs, I've been excited to see those, you know, really mm-hmm. starting mm-hmm. to grow in popularity. But the problem mm-hmm. is if they leave sleep out of the equation and if they just address diet and exercise, they won't be successful because if you don't have enough sleep, you're not going to have make the right food choices. If you don't have enough sleep, you're not going to want to go to the gym when you get home from work or during work mm-hmm. or, or when it, or before work. So if you so think, you know, in those terms, health the foundation of health is a triangle and I call it an inverted triangle. So you've got diet, sleep and exercise. That's the basis of health and well-being, but it's inverted. And at that bottom point of the triangle is sleep. So if we work on that, make and look at that as foundational, then the other two will be so much easier to manage because if you're well-rested, mm-hmm. you're going to make better food choices. What we're doing now when we're sleep-deprived, we grab high-fat food, we grab candy bars, anything to keep us awake. I mean, the more sugar, the better. We, you know, we're, picking, we're choosing the wrong things. We're drinking sodas mm-hmm. all day. We're drinking energy drinks, which will in turn, you know, mess up our sleep at night. But if we just go backwards, get that sleep, it'll be completely different. It'll be, first of all, you make better decisions when you're well-rested. You have better self-control. You're going to be able to look at it and say, okay, you know, I'm going to have my vegetables. I'm going to have my fruit. I'm going to have my protein. And you're not going to have those cravings. Then you're going to have energy to go to the gym. And I've seen time after mm-hmm. time, we've we've treated um, – Gosh, even in our sleep apnea population, somebody's treated with sleep apnea. So what it does, it treats the sleep apnea, which basically all that means is they're getting sleep at night. But, you know, they'll come in three months later and say, look, I've lost 40 pounds. So dieting is so much easier when you've got sufficient sleep. So either, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, I, I um, I had one physician tell me, he said, well, you know, he wasn't too too interested in the sleep thing. He said, look, I've got someone on staff I hired solely to call people that are dieting and trying to lose weight, and they get a reminder call every day to go to the gym. And I said, but, but, but you know, if they're not sleeping, I mean, it kind of breaks my heart to think of trying to tell someone who's exhausted, come on, where's mm-hmm. your willpower? Go to the gym. Gosh, I feel bad for them, you know. Dieting is hard is is difficult, but it will be so much easier because that that sleep component, if that's part of the equation, it will be easier. Mhm. No, I I completely agree with easier. you. Yep. And there yep. there's so much research that's going on in this field now, mm-hmm. and the statistical data that supports what society loses financially. And yes. health-wise, mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. it's it's really astronomical in dollars. It is. Oh, the dollar amounts are huge. And I think people fail to realize it, it really sort of just encroaches on every part of our lives and every part of the economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about 
not just health problems, but I mean long-term chronic health problems to people that are having sleep issues. You know, these are the chronic diseases that are costly and potentially preventable if people are getting the sleep they need and if they have sleep disorders are getting treated. Because the chronic problems such as diabetes, high blood pressure, then we have, you know, heart disease, and then you've got a whole new, you know, think about depression issues, mental health issues, um, you know, these things are costly, and then you think of accidents and injuries, whether on the job or off. Um, mm-hmm. And these, these, this, the drowsy driving thing, I think, has been very, you know, pushed way back in the in the background, and needs to come to the forefront because it's it's costly, it's dangerous, and and that's something we have to be in tune to. So, everyone from the schools to corporate America to, you know, mom and you know, your next door neighbors and your you know, everyone, they've got to be thinking sleep. And it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to disrupt your life. It, it, you'll, you'll feel better and do better if you're getting sufficient sleep. And sometimes it's literally a time management problem. But we do tell people, you know, it, it's sort of a neat thing to do. And you can keep a sleep diary for two weeks if you don't have a wearable. And some people that don't have wearables, some that do have them are, are keeping track of their sleep. And I think that's great, by the way. I think I think that's great to be aware of it. And if you don't have a wearable, keep it. You can download a sleep diary um, off the Internet, usually at the um, National Sleep Foundation has one and the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I think they have one. And you can print it out and just fill in the blocks and just kind of see how you're sleeping, see how many hours you're sleeping great idea. at night. Yeah, because I think when, you know, sometimes it's sort of like trying to diet without counting calories or watching what you eat. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. hard to do. So I think raising awareness just on a day-to-day and then, you know, look at it. And then that's a great thing to take to a doctor's visit if you're, you know, still having, you know, if you're having problems and say, look, Mm -hmm. this is what's going on. And that's, I mean, it's just a wonderful tool. But I think... um, Things like that um, can raise awareness, and and I've I just recently spoke to a group, and one of the people in the group, she said, Terry, I there's no way I can sleep eight hours at night. I you know work x amount of hours during the day, then I go pick up the kids, then I fix dinner, then I do you know. She was telling me mm-hmm. her day, and I said, okay, well we we literally have to take it you know apart hour by hour, and we can change this, and here's what we can do, and you can do this with cooking dinners in advance on Sundays, and then, you you know, we problem solved. We just took it apart and looked at it. Literally, I was doing nothing but time management with her, and we actually came up with a pretty good schedule. We just tweaked a few things, and, you know, and it, it's just interesting, and she's going to try to work out of her home two days a week instead of commuting. She's got a long commute. I mean, there are things to do. And mm-hmm. so you have to talk as a family. You have to talk with your employer. Um, you have to talk with this, you know, the educators. What can we do to be sleep friendly? To you know, to enhance everyone's health and well-being. And I it can be done. Really it, it's doable. Yeah. Time management. Yep. You you normally wouldn't even think of it. You know, I, exactly. Yeah. Of, of uh, managing how many hours a night you sleep, it's kind of the very last thing you even think about. It's like, okay, I'm <laughs> really? tired, I have time now, so I'm going to bed now. <laughs> right, right. But unfortunately, too many people say, oh, God, this show is so engrossing. Or mm-hmm. interesting, one of my seminars, uh, just a very, very, very darling young woman was sitting up front, and uh, she said, Terry, I just, I, I just start, I'm a, you know, she was definitely a, a voracious reader. She loved to read books about as much as I do. And, you know, we, we got to talking about it. And she said, I just can't put a book down. You know, I get involved mm-hmm. in these novels. And I said, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> You've got to read non-engaging nonfiction at night. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a great solution. I tell you, I had to do it. I started, I had two years ago, I had to stop because I would find, you know, I'd look up at the clock and I'm in the middle of some, you know, wonderful novel and uh-huh. it was two o'clock uh-huh. in the morning and I uh-huh. thought, well, okay, I've got to take my son to school in a few hours here. So, but, um, 
Yep, I save those books for the rainy Saturday afternoons when I don't need to do anything but read. And literally, it, it's funny. We tell people get the most get a physics textbook from high school, <laughs> put it on your nightstand. But no, really, seriously, anything that's that <laughs> won't um, totally engross you is good. But but reading's a nice way to sort of relax. We just want to we want to get away from electronics for sure. Well, actually, I think the idea of a nonfiction book in the evening is a good one. And it's not just good for uh, falling asleep. It's also good for the mm-hmm. brain. In other words, mm-hmm. uh, the more we challenge our brain, we build different circuitry in our brains. Absolutely. And that helps in the anti-aging aspect of the brain. You're right. So I think it's yep. a marvelous idea. Yeah, it's it's good. And another, you know, the bedtime routine, I think we a lot of us grown-ups think, you know, it's a kid thing, but it's a it's a grown-up thing too. So I do recommend a bedtime routine for everyone of every age and just do the do it in the same order every night. Um because that way you can do it if you're traveling and you're at a hotel room or staying with, you know, if you're not in your own comfy mm-hmm. bedroom, keep that sleep routine you know the same in terms of the order and you know and try you know try to be consistent and i don't want to say you have to go to bed at the same time every single night wake up the same time every day cuz you know what that's not real life um and i don't right. want to give people rules they can't you know i don't want to make these rigid rules because it then people say well that's impossible and then they don't even attempt try i just say mm-hmm. here here are some guidelines and here's what you want to do when you can do it and when you can't do it, take an extra nap here and there. And do do not, you know, obviously we want to avoid, you know, accruing a huge sleep debt or any sleep debt actually. But, you know, but life happens. And there are going to be nights where we go to get to bed too, you know, late. And if we can't sleep late, grab a nap the next day, go to bed a little earlier the next night. See what I mean? You know, be flexible. But also that bedtime routine does sort of a nice psychological number in terms of uh-huh. preparing your mind uh-huh. and body for bed and make sure that bedroom, whether it's the kid's bedroom or the grown-up bedroom, is really free from distractions. Make it a sleep sanctuary. And, you know, just Definitely. make sure it's conducive to sleep. Some some kids, you know, you don't want – sometimes some kids can't have a lot of toys out in the middle of the room when they're trying to go to bed, or you'll wake up and they'll be up there, you know, at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. sitting there with playing with stuff. So it, it's definitely situational, but um, either in, you know, whatever age, you just want to make sure it's calming and just not too crazy. And I always say um, keep bedtime. Never make going to bed early or even just going to bed a punishment for children. That gives them the wrong message about sleep and bedtime. And don't really let does. kids, yeah, and, you know, staying up late shouldn't be a reward. You know, don't say you've mm-hmm. been good. You can stay up really late. That's, we just don't want to give that message out about sleep. Well, our closing question mm-hmm. of our show today is, are we able to make up lost sleep? To some degree. I don't think the research is com- completely fine. You know, I think there's still some questions out there on how much can our bodies tolerate and how mm-hmm. much can we make up? So I think the safest thing to do and the best thing to do based on what's out there now is, yes, do try to make up sleep if you've lost it. If you've traveled, okay, say you're planning a trip, take a preemptive nap the day before or two days before or for three days up to that time. If you've lost and you, or if you couldn't do that and you've lost sleep from some situation, mm-hmm. take a nap the next day. Um, go to bed earlier, try to sleep later. I mean, really do try to keep, that's why it's good to track your sleep. Make sure you don't accrue a sleep debt and do what you can to avoid doing it in the first place. But when you do it, um, do try to make it up because we don't know over the very, very long term what chronic sleep debt will do. But I can tell you it's probably going to be not good. (laughs) And it's just how we can make that up. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, it's it's hard to say, but hard to say, you know. But just try to avoid sleep debt at all costs. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Terry Corelli. It's been really, really informational. It's been a 
great interview. You've been a wonderful guest. Well, thank you for having and, me. It's been my pleasure. And I hope at some time in the future you'll come back. I definitely will, Denise. I really will. I, I look forward to it. Would you, in your closing remarks, let our listeners know where they can purchase your books? And yes. if they would like to reach you, how that's possible. Yes, yes. Okay, the books are Sleeping Your Way to the Top, How to Get the Sleep You Need to Succeed. And those are available. That book is available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble stores. And my children's book is Snoozeby and the Great Big Bedtime Battle. And that book is um, geared to children from ages 4 to 8. And that book is available on Amazon as well. And if you'd like more information about the books or more information about sleep or some resources, feel free to contact me at my website, and that is terrycrawley.com. And I'll spell that for you. It's T-E-R-R-Y-C-R-A-L-L-E.com. And my email is wegetsleep at gmail.com. Thank you very much, and may everybody have a good night's sleep. That's right. (laughs) Sweet dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that concludes our show for today. I hope that you've learned some really great things about sleep. I know that I have. Please join us again next Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you missed parts of the show, please tune in to iTunes or to our website, healthmedianow.com. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye.